This week's Magnificently Huge podcast is mean and green and bad. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Welcome everyone once again to the Magnificently Huge podcast. My name is Brian, and this week my friends Chris and Eric will be joining me for a conversation about Frank Oz's 1986 film adaptation of the Little Shop of Horrors musical. Uh, We'll also get into our usual segment where we talk about more recent stuff, including Hip Hop Evolution, Horse Girl, and the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Uh, Before we get into all that, all the usual stuff. Hey, if you like this podcast, why don't you, you know, share it with your friends? Why don't you subscribe to it? Why don't you rate it on your podcast setup of choice? And why don't you reach out to us on our social feeds? Uh, On Twitter, we are at MagHuge. That's M-A-G-H-U-G-E. You can also find old episodes of our show on our website, MagHuge.com. And you can find our Facebook group with Magnificently Huge Podcast. You can uh, email us at magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram. All right. It's another week. It's another show. Let's do this. It's the Magic Hour with the Magnificently Huge Podcast. And Magic Hour. <laughs> may or may not be more than an hour. We'll see. May or may It'll not be, be magic. Yeah. Well, it definitely won't be magic. I mean, Jesus. May or may not be a podcast. We'll find out. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Uh, My name is Brian. Over there is... Eric. And then over there is... This is Chris. Eric always sounds so enthusiastic. This is Eric. (laughs) I usually do sound very enthusiastic. (laughs) It's like 50-50. It's like 50-50. What kind of day is Eric going to have? It's Eric. Or, it's Eric! (laughs) (laughs) Then we get one or the other. Yeah. 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 I try. I try I try to key it up, but there's some days where I cannot. That's fine. You're allowed. Thank you. Okay. So what's shaking, gents? Uh, well, my 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 dog is gonna have to be put down tomorrow. Oh fuck. So a little serious? bit down. Yeah, I actually am. I'm sorry. Oh yeah. no. This is god last goddamn time. I want somebody to use his fucking brain to not come out of a goddamn record that is uh, that that's up tempo, and I gotta talk about a fucking dog dying. Well, since, since we don't really want to talk about dead dogs, let's do some fresh shit. Yeah, good idea. This shit is fresh. Oh, shit, that is fresh. This stuff is really fresh. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, uh, who's got fresh shit? You, I, I'll go, because I know you're, you're sure, raring go, with Chris. That, what Disney movie I watched this week on Disney+. Plus. I kind of am. <laughs> I know Doug Brian's the only one that's actually kind of. eager about this now. It's funny. Uh, <laughs> I eschewed the normal big time names that we would all recognize. I decided to try a deeper cut this week. Oh, thank God. Another wow. movie that no one will know yeah. what it is. Well, I mean, shit. <laughs> a deep cut of an unlistened to album. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, shit. Disney Plus is bothered to put it out there. So why not? Uh, but I'm always amazed at the level of star power that the 70s Disney's movies managed to pull, even though they're all trash. All these movies are trash. <laughs> uh, so this particular one stars none other than James Garner, which I was shocked. 
Uh, it's from 1974, and this is right before he did uh, Rockford Files. So he's so you're shocked that they got James Garner before his most popular role. Oh, that's not true, not true. He had a big run in the 60s, man. If you follow his career at all, okay. you know he had a big run in the 60s. Right, but it does sound like everybody does a Disney film in the 60s, <laughs> yeah, 70s when it, their career's in really, a downturn. Well, let me put it this way, because it's called Castaway Cowboy. And it's set in nah. the 19th century. Okay, so it's set. I know this one. I know <laughs> yeah. this one. So it's set in the 19th century sometime. They don't really specify. Uh, he plays uh, a cowboy from Texas who inexplicably gets washed up on the shores of Kauai. Uh, apparently, he was right. Shanghai. That's the only way they explain it. He's, I was Shanghai. Yeah. And this uh, family finds him and they run like a potato farm on Kauai that's kind of going under and it's the typical western story that's literally all it is just a western that's been transposed to Hawaii uh, and they figure out that they could wrangle the loose cattle that's roaming their potato farm and they can sell them and then they've yeah. got to figure out how to get them on the ships and then meanwhile uh, there's the evil banker in town who's trying to marry the widow and fuck over her farm and then that becomes the thing so it's literally just a western but without the native americans it's just the hawaiians as the farmhands <laughs> and stuff it is so right. fucking awful i think james garner the only quote i could find was he said the best thing about that movie was the scenery and it's true <laughs> it's fucking true because yeah i it is it is also true that hawaii is riddled with wild cattle yeah, apparently uh if you buy it into this movie uh, yeah. but it was just it, yeah and, and if memory serves this was made into a TV show starring Chuck Connors shut up I yeah I think it was I didn't delve that far I literally slogged through 90 minutes of uh, bad western set in right yeah it was uh, so this is another one of those things where the, the producer and the director are like how can we get money for a trip to Hawaii? Let's <laughs> basically it was. Let's see if we can set a yeah, movie it there. It was basically the the Michael Caine school of role selection, I think, for Garner. Uh, just where are they filming it? Oh, Hawaii. Okay, I'm there. You know, uh, <laughs> it was just fucking horrible. But not only. Oh, I'm. S yeah, I'm sorry. Just real quick, I got it wrong. Uh, the Chuck Connors show was called Cowboy in Africa, but oh, it's the same concept. Okay, yeah, it makes sense. Exotic locale. Uh, yeah. Well, this one also has the distinction of the widow who runs the farm is played by what's her name? Vera Miles, who was the sister in Psycho, who was trying to figure out what happened to uh, Janet Lee. And then the bad guy who runs everything is called, like the banker, he's Robert Culp, uh, pre-greatest mm -hmm. American hero, but post-I Spy. So it's again, it's like, yeah, the 70s, like Eric has <laughs> mentioned, it's like that muddled period in careers where they're like, well, shit, I'll take anything. <laughs> Just please, God, make me uh, a paycheck and I'll do it. So, yeah, it's fucking awful. So I don't recommend it to anybody, but it's on Disney Plus and obviously they don't care. So, yeah, it's good. Uh, but the saving grace of the week, which was actually what I had mostly spent my time watching was on Netflix. There's a really cool documentary series called hip hop evolution. You guys watch this yet? No, yeah, it's fucking amazing. It's like four seasons now. So it's about 16 episodes and it literally chronicles the whole history of hip hop 
from its very early beginnings in the 70s before it was known as hip hop uh, on up to the modern era. And they touch on all of sort of the, the key uh, like family tree lines where it starts to diverge <laughs> and the innovations come in. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's very fully encompassed of the last like 40, 50 years of music. Uh, but it's a nice way to shore up any blind spots you might have with the hip hop. In my case, I gotta check that out. Uh, that one sounds like a it's winner. It's awesome. Uh, cause, I, and I realized that I knew more of the early hip hop artists than I originally thought I would. Cause it starts with like Grandmaster Flash and African right. Bombada and the Sugar Hill Gang, uh, etc. And then it kind of rolls into the transitional period with uh, like Run DMC and then kind of chronicles the whole rise in New York and then they do like a whole thing where the gangster rap started in Philly by a guy named Schoolie D and then got picked up in LA and then that became the dominant thing and then they do the whole East Coast West Coast rivalry with Tupac and Biggie Uh, yeah I mean they literally hit all they like do the Dirty South they do like the weird nerd rap i guess you could call it when de la soul comes on the scene tribe called quest and then later on with like easy listening rap uh i guess easy listening rap i don't see it that way that's what that's what robert townsend called it and i always sort of just stuck with it he (laughs) might even have been joking (laughs) could be because it's not like that hardcore 808 beat i didn't realize they were rappers before the beastie boys and vanilla ice wait yeah um, exactly yeah uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they, but yeah, but then they go into like the South and then they do like the horrorcore stuff with Three Six Mafia out of Memphis. They do the stuff in Houston. They do a whole episode on DJ Screw, who changed everything up because he slowed all of the mixtapes way down and uh, that sort of filtered its way into trap music, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, so I have a much wider understanding of hip hop as a genre now, which is yeah. awesome. It makes me think of that uh, uh, Donald Glover bit about uh, old school rap. People say the same stuff about rap music. People are just like, oh, rap music now, oh, sucks. It's so bad. Rap music now sucks. No, back in the day, that was the good rap music. That was where the good rap music was at. No, it's not. Have you ever listened to rap back in the day? It's always some dude being like, well, I went to the hat store today and I bought myself a hat. <laughs> uh, but they do, they delve a lot into the whole culture that sort of became the incubator for hip hop. Uh, the like, yeah. So I mean, what I, I assume we get a lot of like the sort of the six degrees of separation of hip hop, right? Like because so much of that culture is about sort of bringing other people up and having them guest on your track, and then I mean, yeah, you know, that's that's performing with them and building. That's up part of it. Yeah, the neighborhood. Yeah, it's uh, it basically shows that uh, like when we grew up, I mean, rap was not really a prevalent thing in the suburbs, really. Like Run DMC was the first really that broke and then Beastie Boys sort of made it palatable for white kids. Uh, so it wasn't until the 90s that I really started to get into a little bit more. Uh, right. So it's, it's an interesting thing to see the actual history of it leading up to the point where I started to kind of be aware of it. Uh, so it's, it's really cool to see that evolution. I would liken it to, uh, if you ever saw the Ken Burns documentary that he did on jazz like 20 years ago for PBS... It's the same flavor because it's basically they started with people that just did the DJing and took all their old records and kind of mission and mashed them together and made uh, mixes for parties. And they didn't really record anything. 
And then it kind of just expanded out of New York once they started using the technology to record, and then it just blew up. Did they talk? Did they, did they talk to the guy who actually wrote uh, "Rapper's Delight"? Because I always love watching him. Yeah, I wrote that shit. Yeah, I wrote it for yeah. him for like you know ten bucks, and then next thing I know, it's making all this yeah. money. Yeah, they fuck those. They guys. touch on that because basically, <laughs> they like the, he's got a whole line in there where he he raps about uh, how you shouldn't steal other guys' rhymes. And he basically stole another guy's rhyme to do that line. Yeah. I said a hip, the hip, the hip, the hip, 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 hop, you don't stop. Rock it out, baby, bubble to the boogity bang, bang, the boogie to the boogie beat. And so you talk to a lot of the, the people from that era when they do the interviews, and they're like, yeah, we thought that was just bullshit, man. I mean, it's just, they're unfettered, <laughs> but these guys are characters, man. Well, so do they do they compare and contrast that with sampling culture? Uh, they get into the sampling culture because it's basically was all them digging through record crates in musty old stores and then going to conventions and then so you have all the rivalries with the DJs and stuff. Uh, yeah, but like, so it's okay to list somebody's rhyme or not okay to list somebody's rhyme, but it's okay to list somebody's you know loop. Uh, well, they they or... get into the, some of the the legalities of that once. Uh, the 90s hit, and this is especially true of like uh, 50 Cent, which I didn't know, but he would do mixtapes and remixes and stuff of his own songs and then sell them on the street. Uh, and the record company hmm. didn't make a dime off of that stuff. So a lot of these guys started <laughs> where they would just like sell tapes out of the trunks of their car. I mean, it's just the the, the stuff they would do is phenomenal. It's just hilarious That's to funny. watch. So yeah, if you're interested in any sort of uh, musical history, this would definitely be one to, to check. Uh, but it's made by a couple of Very Canadian cool. guys, so they don't have any horse in the race. They're just sort of chronicling it as it it was, uh, and they don't really take any sides. So it's the the more stories I hear about Fifty Cent, the more I want them to do a biography film of him, but starring Tracy Morgan, <laughs> because he gets up to some of the dumbest, hilariousest shit. Yeah, he's a he's a very smart man. Yeah, he's a very smart man. He he did a lot. So yeah, it's it's interesting because it's stuff you just you don't even think about uh, if you're not hardcore into rap and uh, and hip hop. So it's it's cool. I would recommend it highly. Hip hop evolution. A pop up. Yeah. So nice. yeah, that's all I've been doing. All right, Eric, what oh. you got? Uh, I watched on Netflix a film called Horse Girl. What is Horse Girl? Is it is it like Castaway Cowboy? Mm, no, okay. no, it's not. Okay. Uh, it's it's um, wait. I just Allison Brie. I just I just just went on her name. Okay. Allison from Brie the one from Glow. Yeah. Yeah. Community. From Glow okay. and Community. Um, and she's she's a sort of reclusive person who was into riding horses as a child. And now she may or may not be going crazy. And I can't say more than that because it's one of those ones where you need to be along for the ride. Uh, hmm. All I'll say, though, is that it's a slow build. And once you realize what is going on, you're sort of crazy with her. It's like one of the first times I've seen a movie. It, it's it's a really a horror movie about losing your mind. Um, hmm. And, and and you really aren't sure whether or not it's real because she's really not sure whether or not it's real. It's it's a very smart, surrealistic movie about mental illness. Interesting. Hmm. 
Kind and, of a lousy title because as soon as you say the name of the movie is Horse Girl, I'm sort of like, i not sure I care. But it, it relates because she's one of those, like, um, I don't know if you remember being from Arizona, we had them. The girls who were, you know, just not into socializing. They were weird. They wore Wonder Bread shirts. They were just, you know, uh, uh, reclusive and, and awkward, but that's because they were into their horses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, horse girl. She's she's one of those, and okay, it's like they nailed this one personality type. Hmm. I'd never even thought of. <laughs> so is it a comedy? Is it drama? Is it dramedy? I I really think of it as a horror movie. There's no there's not much comedy at all. Okay. It's just it's uh, yeah psychological yeah, it's horror. horror. Yeah, it's it without you know without any blood or murder but very oh boy okay. <laughs> kind of scary and and you you do get to see uh um Ms. Bree uh full bore naked you get you know right right down to the hairy bit so <laughs> it's got that going for it so where where is this movie out is it like in the theaters it's a netflix movie oh, okay yeah um it's worth your time that's all i can say it maybe i've seen it roll past i just there's so much stuff on those menus that I just like scroll, 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 scroll. Oh, that's what I'm looking for. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, by probably, the way, public service not, announcement. Yeah, I know what you're going to say, Brian. Yeah. You can turn off the autoplay trailers on Netflix. Yeah, and I did. And it's life changing. Yes. Oh, yeah. Eh. <laughs> and since you can listen to a podcast like years into the future, some some kid who who looked up a keyword and found this podcast is like, there was a time you... You were forced to watch the autoplay trailers on Netflix? Yeah, kids will never oh, know. Oh, what dark, dark times. Kids will never yeah. know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That was the worst goddamn feature. Yeah. So so I'm yeah. looking up uh, Horse Girl here on the Googles, and I see that uh, Paul Reiser is in it. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. He's he's her, uh, I guess, her ex-stepdad. Okay. I just I only bring it up because I want to hear you do your aliens thing again because it makes me laugh every time when paul the, the intro <laughs> credits know, paul Reiser's name comes <laughs> up on aliens <laughs> i uh, i i can't even remember oh it's like lance henriksen oh yeah that's yeah. right sigourney weaver <laughs> paul riser <laughs> just so dumb and, yeah it, it's really a visual joke i i <laughs> i think we need to put a link in somewhere but yeah. just the very very opening credits of aliens and they're so dark and brooding and uh-oh bad shit's gonna happen and then wait a minute that guy yeah because that was like when he was fresh <laughs> off of a uh, diner and such he wasn't yeah. really known for anything but like light comedy uh comedy stuff <laughs> so yeah like now okay. no no actually now he's he's an actor actor but yeah okay anyway horse girl yes very good uh but but don't expect it to like go just just flying it's 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 a slow build I, I think I read some review that was like it's like a lucid dream, and I think I think that's fair. Okay. This 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 guy likes surrealist film. Whoever made it. Nice. So it's anyway. So it's a challenge. Highly recommended. Cool. Yeah, but it's not that long. It's not like a four-hour uh, Ingmar Bergman. Yeah. Surrealist or, film. This is or like The Irishman. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's not The Irishman. Okay. Good. That's 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 my review of most. Uh, Netflix films, in fact, with the exception of The Irishman. Because <laughs> The Irishman really is, is The Irishman. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and even the the discussion between the actors who were in the Irishman about the Irishman, not technically the Irishman. Interesting. All right. Is I, it I'm, though? Is it, <laughs> really, yeah. Are we all? That's a good question. Aren't we all the Irishman? Really, when it comes down to it, <laughs> you see that discussion happening somewhere. Uh. <laughs> okay. I mean, think about it, dude. dude think what about else it. you got, Eric? <laughs> Oh no, I'm 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 going light. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll I'll try and tie mine in somehow with us. So my Netflix thing uh, this week, I started watching season two of the End of the Fucking World. I watched on it. Netflix. I watched it. I'm I'm amazed I haven't binged it because I mean, it take first of all, bingeable shows need to be in that twenty to thirty minute range because that's just such a nice pace yeah. to like. Yeah. You know, it's like I can eating watch one cookies more. one after the other. Out yeah. Of the bag. Well, when the first, I'm only, I'm only about three or four episodes in on this thing, and they're taking their sweet time just getting all the pieces in place. But it's so good. Yeah. Ah, like that, this is a great like show. Like that first season, I literally watched it in like four days. I mean, I, I just yeah. sucked it up. Uh, the second season was not as quick, because uh, it's, it's not as for me. It wasn't as good. It's still good, but to me, it wasn't uh, as amaze balls i think it's i think it's that first season was all about child child rebellion and you know fuck you fuck the system fuck everything and the second one was about regret yeah about owning up to your your fuck-ups basically yeah Uh, i haven't i haven't gotten very far into it like really we've just gotten all the major players into the same place at the same time for me yeah so i i assume the meat is is coming but man it's been fun just getting getting set up i will say this that it, it gets a lot more uncomfortable as the season progresses. So just be prepared for that. Cause it's just like, uh, you kind of just find yourself screaming. No, don't, no, no, don't, don't. <laughs> no. But then you realize you're, you're yelling at your TV and they can't hear you. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's my Netflix thing. I'm looking forward to, to tearing through that. Um, my, my music history thing. Uh, yesterday I watched, uh, Madonna and the Breakfast Club on Hulu. Um, is I've never heard of this. Like, is this actually about the pop star Madonna, or like? Yeah, it's about okay. the pop star Madonna okay. and the band The Breakfast Club that she was part of when she was first coming up in the late seventies. Oh, was, okay. I was like, like right. I, I had this image of like a remake of The Breakfast Club. Yeah. And Madonna magically appears in the library yeah. with them. I went one, and they're like, we were about to learn some lessons about life, and she's like, whatever, man, I'm gonna use my magic genie powers to do things. Yeah, I went one step further i'm like is this some sort of weird biblical recreation of the last supper as the breakfast club <laughs> i i didn't know what i was getting into i was like i need i need just some noise on in the background while i'm doing chores you know and I, so i put this thing on and what it turns out to be is it's really just you know hey we're these bunch of old dudes that happened to have known madonna before she was famous and we're in kind of a cbgb's punk band with her and then we ended up being like this really corporate 80s dance band for a hot minute. Oh, what was their big uh, it's, hit? It's, it was. I I don't remember, <sighs> but the Breakfast Club, um, was the name of the band. I'm I'm sure I'll play a clip here now that you've said that. But uh, <laughs> but but really, uh, what's interesting about it? I mean, it's it's a typical documentary where they're interviewing these guys and they're telling their stories and you know they're showing you like the artifacts. Yeah, this is the synagogue we all lived in. We still live here. Here's the drum set Madonna played. Nice. You know, here's like the gum that she had stuck on the. Oh God. Drum. Ouch. Yeah. 
but Bad. but what's what makes it compelling is the reenactments. So they have they dramatize some of the stuff that happened, and the woman they got to play Madonna is the absolute spitting image. Like they intercut video footage and still photography of the real Madonna at that age with this actress, and it's the same person. Like it's really spot on. That's weird. Um, that like cause, yeah, because it seems like when Madonna first started, she had ginormous eyes, and then over the course of her career, they got they were less. Treated they got less enormous. Yeah, that's always yeah. the first thing that strikes me when I see old. Food. To the that, point that, might that be now they just look thing. like two holes chiseled into a melon with a <laughs> screwdriver. <laughs> That's all, oddly how I describe her very last album as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know that I'd recommend it. I, the only reason I'd recommend it is just for the, the doppelganger that they cast to be Madonna in the flashbacks. I mean, it sounds like just a high-quality uh, VH1 behind the music. Kind of. Yeah, I mean, it's not even quite at that level. It's more like the, you know, it's more like the Wrecking Crew or something like that, where it's it's just interviews and you know, hey, I knew famous people, right? Type stuff. Um, well, that, but she was then, the drummer, wasn't she? Yeah, she was the drummer. They have like these old recordings of them and their band. They were kind of a kind of a little punk band well, for a bit there. You wouldn't recognize because I did look it up here just now, and their big hit was that song "Right on Track." Go up. And back, right on track. Remember that? Yeah, one? nobody cares. Yeah. It's like, it like a blip. Nobody cares. Well, that doesn't run because uh, I did see something recently on Amazon uh, called Punk Revolution NYC, which basically chronicles the 70s punk scene on the Lower East Side. So it starts with the Velvets and then ends somewhere around Blondie. Uh, and it's kind of the same thing where they just talk to all the people that were on the scene, but not the actual mm-hmm. luminaries. They just talk right. to people that were around them, uh, telling stories. <laughs> the ones they could get yeah. a hold of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I got chlamydia from that person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, no, you remember there was a, uh, a a kids in the hall sketch about a guy who got trapped in a a a, a straitjacket doing a magic trick on TV, and then they end up <laughs> like fading into the documentary about him uh. and. There's there's one point where they talk to you know somebody they do the interview footage thing where he's like you know it was crazy back then because it was all live TV you didn't know he might get out of that street jacket at any second <laughs> and, and but then the thing underneath the crawl you know just you know Bob Bob Robertson it says some old guy who watched a lot of TV <laughs> that's yeah like I yeah. Uh, I don't know. Okay, why enough about that. this. Um, my Disney <laughs> Channel or Disney Plus thing. Oh, Brian, now's, now he's doing it. Awesome. Uh, no, no. The, I watched the Imagineering Story oh, okay. series. Um, this is this is a cool series. Uh, it's it's basically the history of Disney parks, and yeah, it's an advertisement for all the Disney parks. <laughs> Welcome of to the Hall of Presidents. That's all, that's all I can think of. Very much, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But but it. I mean, it really is about these guys that have just been given these ridiculous budgets to come up with, you know, crazier and crazier practical effects and robots and shit. Um, That's how Westworld starts, man. That's how Westworld starts. I have a former uh, 
well, I guess he was never a coworker. He worked at a at a studio that we were friends with when the game industry who worked on the Millennium Falcon ride. And there's one shot of him in the last episode of this. I'm like, hey, it's him. It's the guy. I got chlamydia from him. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> but um, it's really cool and it's really fun to watch like the innovations they're doing in robotics and projection techniques and stuff. There's some footage of them doing some crazy stuff uh, where they're literally tossing robots around in the air, and I'm watching the animation on this robot, and I realize that's a Spider-Man robot. They're literally just tossing uh, what has to be a multimillion-dollar robot in the air, untethered, and it's doing Spider-Man poses, and it's like, what the fuck are they up to? <laughs> um, Man, I really made some poor choices in life. How do I get that job? I know, right? <laughs> So, Imagineering Story, uh, actually, it's pretty fun, compelling. It's only like six episodes. Um, but, yeah, good history of the Disneyland parks and and uh, the madness that goes into building those. Yeah. The insane amount of effort and art. Well, have you ever seen that? I'm such a, I'm such a Disney parks whore. I think I might even get Disney Plus just to watch things about the parks. Well, just... Uh, Check out the Imagineering Story, yeah, seriously. Just sign up for, like, the free trial, watch your shit, and then bail. Yeah. You know what I mean? And Do they have... Make sure you watch the Castaway Cowboy. Yeah. Do they have the those those Mickey Mouse cartoons that were done in just the last few years? Because they're funny as hell. I, probably. Yeah. They've got a I lot mean, of shorts. I'll get the I'll get the thing and I'll tell you the name of it. But I remember they were playing in the lobby of Pop Century and I was laughing my ass off. They were they were Looney Tunes quality writing, which hmm. is odd considering that they used to suck. Like, like yeah, the classic. Yeah, they suck. were never any good. Well, I tell you the the best thing about Disney Plus is you on the movies and stuff you get all of their sort of cultural disclaimers because they recognize the fact that there were a lot of culturally insensitive <laughs> oh, bullshit back in the day. Really? Yeah. yeah. So, like, most of the 70s ones I've noticed is stuff like uh, depictions of tobacco use. That's literally all you get. But then if you get into uh, <laughs> other stuff, it, you know, there's, like, culturally... Song of the South? Song of the South is not on there, and for good that, fucking reasons. it exists, not. according yeah. to the Disney company. Because that's... Yeah. There's, just, there's just Splash Mountain. There's no Song of the yeah. South. <laughs> Zippity-do-what? No. Uh, but yeah, it's so funny they, to read them because it's just they, you know, may contain culturally insensitive blah blah blah. You yeah, know what I mean, it's so weird. They quantify. Oh, they don't call out specifically what. They don't tell you the scene. They just sort of give you the generalities of what may or may not be offensive, depending on what kind of right. warning. You are. We were racist <laughs> yeah, in the sixties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm surprised that none of them just have have the warning that says may contain white privilege. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> just, <laughs> I mean that's all of them, yeah, really. Yeah. It's the Disney stuff, uh, right? So yeah, but apparently okay. they smoked a lot in the seventies, which is the only reason it made me think of it. I'm glad they didn't Tom and Jerry it where they went back and re-recorded it. Oh. You ever see the old Tom and Jerry's where, you know, the black woman who owned Tom, yeah. uh, you know, is always like, you could see like fat black ankles and she sounded just like stereotypically. It was bad. It was the, the yeah. maid from Gone uh, with the Wind. With the wind. Yeah. Well, they went back and they gave her really thin ankles and power pumps and gave her a voice like... Tom, you had better not be doing blah, 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 you know, and like make it clear that she's not a maid. Yeah. She's like a CEO of a non-existent yeah. company. And it's like, ah, oh, now Disney Plus. Didn't, don't show me the cartoon. That, Disney Plus didn't do that. They basically just went in and said, yeah, we were kind of fucked up a little bit and we didn't know. Uh, but we're still not going to release <laughs> Song of the South because that's just straight up racist. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <it's>, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, and then my movie, we might as well. Uh, I did go see the Sonic the Hedgehog movie I last week. I knew weekend. you would. I knew you would. Of course I did. Uh, I'm shocked that it made as much money as it did. It's crazy I know, to me. right? Crazy. It was the number one movie in the country. I know. It outperformed expectations by a good 10, 12 million dollars. Yeah. Do you think it helped that um, they, they fucked up the the previews months ago and had to go in and fix everything? I think it did. Okay. I think that that ended up being... I mean, I'm sure it was incredibly expensive and I'm sure a lot of effects artists and animators like suffered and worked hideous overtime to get this thing done. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I honestly think that the the sort of morbid curiosity that that, that whole thing created uh, brought the audience out to see how it turned out. Because it sure as hell wasn't the quality of the script. <laughs> that is um, shocking, sir. I know. Um, uh, well, I think what everybody wants to know is, how is James Marsden? James Marsden <laughs> hasn't aged. It's he right? still looks like Cyclops from 2000. Like, what yeah. the hell? Yeah. Nutty. I, uh, James Marsden is the... Okay, so there's this weird Trumpiness to the Sonic the Hedgehog movie in that... Um, it is set in a f- Green Hills, Montana. Okay, it's set in the Green Hill Zone, which apparently is in Montana. Um, and that's a small town, and James Marsden is the sheriff there, and nothing happens, it's really boring, and he wants a chance to prove himself as a cop. And basically, the bad guys in Sonic the Hedgehog are anyone who lives in San Francisco, and... Uh, nerds who got beat up when they were little kids who decided to get back on their tormentors by getting smart and harnessing technology in the form of Jim Carrey as Dr. Robotnik. So, like, maybe the kind of people who would have a shit fit on Twitter when they see the version of Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. So our good guys are the small-town real America folks, and our bad guys are the uh, elitist liberals. Okay. Um... Somehow, in the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. And then Jim Carrey shows up as a crazy yeah. weirdo. In a movie that, that I'm, I imagine a significant portion of its audience are furries, that seems like an odd choice. Um, but there you go. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. How did, as, a, as a video game movie, though, how... I mean, okay, does it clear the bar that is lying on the ground? <laughs> really? Um, <laughs> it's like, sure. Uh, like everybody knows, Super Mario Brothers is like the worst one. I think we're all on record. We've even done a show about this video game movies. So yeah. is it is it even remotely an improvement over that low bar? Uh, of course, okay. it's it's better than the Super Mario Brothers movies. But everything is better than. I mean, it's better than a lot of those bad ones. Is it as good as say the the recent Lara Croft Tomb Raider movie or the uh, even the Warcraft movie, I don't know that it is. Those actually had characters. It seems like it has more in stories. common with the Ratchet and Clank movie. It's better than the Ratchet and Clank movie. Okay, um, but not Ratchet by a and lot. Clank movie. There was. <laughs> there was. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, it's it's a kids movie. It's fine. It's it it does fine by the character in the end it's a big dumb road movie with and jim carrey that's what i really want to hear the story of how the hell did they get jim carrey to do the sonic the hedgehog movie he's he's like in his i don't give a fuck mode probably wrote him a check i mean shit he was in kick-ass 2 
And then after it was over, he started pissing and moaning about, I didn't realize it was so violent. It's like, fuck off. Yeah. Fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. Jim Carrey's. Just I a weird genuinely dude. don't know how they got Jim Carrey to do this, but he's, he's Jim carrying it up. Um, my wife was actually disappointed. She expected him to be more manic. And I'm like, the dude is in like his mid to late fifties by now. Like let him be a little more mellow. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, really? Uh, um, yeah, I mean, Sonic the Hedgehog movie, I don't know. Two and a half stars out of five. It's fine. If you've seen the trailer, yet again, if you've seen the trailer, yeah, that's the movie. That's the tone of the movie. That's pretty much a shot from every scene of the movie in sequence is the trailer. I feel like so that, just watch the trailer, I, feel like I think, that's is your, what I'm saying. your theme for 2020 so far, because that seems it's to be- It's not my fault, man. <laughs> like, every, like every movie you've seen so far this year, you're like, well, if you've seen the trailer, you've seen the movie. Save yourself the eight bucks. Yeah. But in this case, seriously, every shot in the trailer is pretty much every scene in the movie in sequence. Okay. So that's the movie. Watch the trailer. Sonic the Hedgehog, everybody. Thank you. I do now kind of want to see the whole movie rendered with the creepy Sonic, though. (laughs) Well, you know it'll be on the DVD release, right? They have to. No. I Look, there's no way they had any more than just the shots that were in that first trailer finished. Okay. Um, that's pretty much how trailers are, right? The only finished effect shots are the ones that make the trailer when that comes out. Okay. So they hit the, they, they made a hard left turn on that thing. Well, apparently. But it would be interesting. Apparently to the benefit of the movie. I guess. Bri- Bri- Brian worked in video games. If, if you remember about, yeah. you know, in like the, the early mid zeros, uh, the, the GameCube Star Wars game, uh, Rogue yep. Squadron. That was Brian. All I was that, definitely and, one of those people. And those games were just dope. I spent so many hours on those. They were fun. You I, think they'll ever make a movie of those? No, no. They will never okay. make a movie as good as those games. That was, uh, yeah, that was that like topic. all set up. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and scene. And that's and the fresh scene. Yeah. Fresh goes better. Fresh fresh. Okay. I've been having trouble coming up with what what topics when it's my week uh, for the show. And a couple weeks back, I actually went to a movie party for Little Shop of Horrors, the 1986 Frank Oz uh, musical. (laughs) And I realized, actually, I want to make the other two guys watch this again because I freaking love Little Shop. (laughs) And I'm betting that Eric didn't bother to watch it. (laughs) And Chris already watched it a couple weeks ago. I put it off until last night. I put it off until last night. I'll tell you, when when we did our John Candy show last year, I just put it on just for shits and giggles to to watch Candy's part, but watch the whole movie. Uh, but for this show, I actually went back and rewatched the 1960 Roger Corman version. Well, of oh, course I wish I'd have done that. Yeah. That was a good film. <laughs> was it though? Was it? So yeah. So I've got like the full uh, rounded contextual little shop of horrors, uh, minus having ever seen the stage show. But whatever. So for and, the, for the and I've seen it, the stage. Okay. Have you seen it perform yeah. live? Oh, yeah. awesome. Uh, so for people who don't know, Little Shop of Horrors was originally an off-Broadway musical about a, a a little nothing guy who works in a flower shop on Skid Row who um, comes across an alien Venus flytrap that grows if you feed it blood and that ultimately convinces him to murder people so that it can get larger and take over the world. Um, and it's a musical, and it stars Rick Moranis... And Ellen Green, 
Steve, and Steve, has Steve Martin. Yeah, Steve Martin, James Belushi, John Candy, Bill Murray, Bill Murray, Bill Murray all show up for cameos. Uh, directed by Muppet, uh, Muppet uh, Second Banana Frank Oz. It was actually his. Um, it was his first non Muppet directorial effort. Oh. And the music is by Alan Menken, uh, with score. Uh, I guess also uh, someone Miles Goodman did some more score. Alan Menken, who did the songs for like all of those big Disney Renaissance movies, uh, well, Little Mermaid, Aladdin. Well, him and Howard Ashman both. Yeah, uh, and it it just this thing kills. I love it. It's so it's a it's a blast. So have you seen the stage version? Or is only Eric? I auditioned for the stage version (laughs) um, at a community college, and I got the understudy. And at the time, I was mad because in the audition, uh, the people who were auditioning for Seymour were mad at me and asking if I was actually related to Rick Moranis. But the director wanted (laughs) Jerry Lewis, Uh, so I didn't get the role, and uh, I was full of myself and didn't bother to do the understudy. You started that story, (laughs) and I thought, man, you would be the weirdest Audrey ever. (laughs) <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> but so so yeah, I was into it. I was into it big time. Um, there's a how how do we want to even get into this? I don't know. Well, uh, let's just preface it with some history because it is actually based on a B movie from 1960, as we mentioned earlier, by Roger Corman that is only really notable for being one of the early roles of Jack Nicholson who plays the masochist who, yeah, he's, who, who is Bill the dentist. who is Bill Murray in the Oh no. Yeah, the masochist. The masochist. Okay. Uh and then it kind of went unnoticed and just was a staple on TV because it was cheap probably. But Corin made it for like 35 grand. He shot it in like 2 days cuz he had access to the sets from his previous movie Bucket of Blood. Uh, he kind of made it on a bet with his brother that he couldn't, that he could, <laughs> that he could make a movie in under a week. Uh, and then the other thing too is that apparently the the law was going into effect for residuals. So after the end of 1959, he would have to pay his actors a different uh, percentage. <laughs> so he squeezed in one last movie <laughs> under the old rules so that he wouldn't be able to have to do that. Uh, so there's a lot going on, but basically it's just a really schlocky, campy over the top B movie, uh, which is essentially just the plant, uh, is found by the nebish. It, uh, creates a Faustian bargain wherein he has to feed it people in order to get the girl in the end. And then at the end of the movie, he ends up dying to save the world from the plant. And then it went like that for years and years. And then I didn't realize that it wasn't until 82 that the off Broadway show hit. So there's a, there's like a 24 year gap, which is odd to me. Yeah. And it's a, it's a cynical ass show. Um, one of the things that's, that's interesting about the movie, and this is probably one of the most interesting things to say in at all about little shop is the film we got in 1986 is the only version of Little Shop of Horrors that has a happy ending. Yes. Um, yeah. All of the, um, all of the real versions of it. Uh, so early on, there's a song sung by the character of Audrey. That's the girl that that our nebish uh, Seymour is interested in. She sings a song called "Somewhere That's Green." <laughs> yeah. 
And it's all about how she wants, like, you know, this tacky, better homes and gardens yeah. existence, living somewhere that's green. In the actual um, stage musical, uh, what ends up happening is she does go somewhere that's green. She goes down the plant's gullet and dies. <laughs> yeah, basically, Audrey and, eats Audrey. And then yeah, Audrey too and eats. sings about it. So in a way, we'll always be together. You'll wash my tender leaves. You'll smell my sweet perfume. You'll water me and care for me. You'll see me bud and bloom. I'm feeling strangely happy now, contented and serene. Oh, don't you see? Yeah, and then Audra 2 eats Seymour. Uh, yeah. And then Audra 2 takes over the fucking planet. That's- and, and the last number in the Broadway musical is all of them as seedling plants singing. And yes. basically the beginning of the end of the world is this plant <laughs> takes over. And then the plant attacks the audience in the theater. Yeah. Um, I love the, drops from the ceiling. I love the yeah. fact that Frank Oz made that ending. It was like one fifth of the total production budget to create that, <laughs> and that's what's amazing. Yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah. Have you? Yeah. There's like a 20 minute long sequence of Audrey Two's, multiple Audrey Two's, destroying New York City and terrorizing people and eating subway yeah. trains, and it's shot by the guy who did the practical effects for Brazil. Yeah. And so it actually looks really good. Like, they spent so much time and money on this thing set to that song, Don't Feed the Plants. Yeah. And test audiences hated it. Well, I think Frank Oz was very on point in his uh, review of that. He said, basically, it works in the theater version because at the end of the show, the actors actually get to come out and take their bow, and they're not really dead. But he's like, in film, that's it. That's final. There is no comeback. And so you build up these characters <laughs> and then suddenly kill them at the end. And people are like, fuck you, dude. Fuck you. That's pretty much it. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so they tested it in, in two cities and both reactions were just abysmal. So they're like, yeah, we, yeah. we'll need to fix says- this. He says when you do a test audience, you need a 55% would recommend to a friend in order for your movie to, to like, get released. Yeah. And they got 13%. <laughs> yeah. It's something ridiculous. Based on that ending. Uh, but having seen the original ending, uh, I would probably rate it low, too, because it just contextually doesn't fit the rest of the movie that he had made. No, it's true. It's true. So, it, it is, And it wasn't the first version I had seen, and I wonder how much that influences my opinion. Could be. But uh, but it's interesting to see that that's one of the few times where it it actually was saved by the audience tests. Uh, interesting to note that a lot of uh, uh, theater performances now of Little Shop use the happy ending, which I they? think is bullshit. Which is yeah. weird. That is bullshit. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure I'm buying that. Well, <laughs> yeah. and I like the fact that you bring up uh, that that Audrey is singing somewhere that's green, because uh, Mencken and Ashman would go on to do all the the Big, big Disney animated songs of the yeah. 90s. And 
they, and I read some interview, they were talking, I guess it was Mencken maybe, uh, but he was talking about how when they were writing the songs for Little Mermaid and they did Part of Your World, he's like, yeah, we just needed to do the, the I Want song. He's like, so then we thought, well, let's just do somewhere that's green. And it literally sounds almost it does. the same it's song. Like the same, yeah. <laughs> And yeah, he's like, but but jokingly, when they were writing it, he said, yeah, so we did Somewhere That's Green for Little Shop. He's like, so for Little Mermaid, we just started calling that one Somewhere That's Wet. <laughs> <laughs> so they knew what they were doing. It's just funny. Uh. Oh, that's amazing. Um, the songs in general, um, I think, are really what what bring this to, to the, the tier it's at. Yeah. I mean, they... I've been, you know, I've been going to a lot of Broadway shows in the last few years, and there's definitely a sort of uh, template of like moods you want the audience to go through, and stylistic things that are done in these songs. And this this score checks all of those boxes and does it in the style of late '50s, early '60s, like doo-wop music and and yeah. early rock and roll. Um, I, it's a period piece. I really like the opening number too when they do the, the little shop of horrors because that that hook it starts right at the front. You know exactly what you're yep. gonna get, and it's it's so stupidly hummable. It's just it worms its way in your head, and then you basically can't get rid of it. It's so obnoxious. Uh, but that to me is a sign of a, a good song if you're doing a musical. You know? Well, I think we have to give a lot of credit here to the lyricist too, because what what you do get is um, some funny juxtaposition of sort of predictable melodies, right? But like, there's a song called uh, "Feed Me," which is the the big "Feed Me Seymour" yeah. song, where the plant is really uh, convincing him to kill the dentist, played by Steve Martin. And there's a bit in the middle of it where Seymour goes off on his on his. Uh, you know, mental journey, and he's singing. I don't know. I don't know. I have so, so many strong reservations. Should I go and Right, and that leads into a big uh, rockin' duet with the plant at the end. It's just solid. If you want a rationale, it isn't very hard to see. No, 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 stop and think it'll overpair. The guy sure looks like plant food to me. The guy sure looks like plant food to me. The guy sure looks like plant food to me. All the songs really are fun, but the the one that hooked me, and that's just me, I'm like total basic right now but when i heard dentist before it came out yeah. uh and then mtv was actually playing the the actual sequence from the film pretty much <laughs> intact so you get steve martin just being this buffoon uh masochistic dentist you'll be a dentist you have a talent for causing things hey stop me a dentist people will pay you to be your temperament's wrong for priesthood, and teaching would suit you still less. Son, be a dentist. And it works on so many levels for me. 
makes me laugh every time. So I to this day still know all the words to dentist, but I can't sing any of the rest without help. <laughs> so it's over. That's the, yeah, that's the one song I remember from the movie. Yeah. And it's so funny. Uh, but then that leads into my favorite bits in, in the whole movie, which I don't know if that's to its detriment or if it's uh, helpful, but all of the stuff where Bill Murray is present, especially his exchange with Martin, because uh, it's basically the ultra-sadistic dentist meets his match in the most masochistic shithead on the planet who just wants him to hurt him. <laughs> and apparently Murray ad-libbed everything in that. And, and so when they had cast, they had Mer- Martin as the dentist and then Murray came, he's like, so talking to Frank Oz, I said, can I just ad lib? He's like, look, he's the sadist. You're the masochist. I don't care what you say after that. <laughs> <laughs> and he just let him roll. It's so funny to watch. Um, the only person I think from the original cast, the, the off-Broadway cast who actually made it into the movie was Ellen Green. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess they were trying to cast a big star there. The The studio wanted a big star, and Frank Oz wasn't having it. Did He's you, like, no, she's got to play this role. Did you read some of the actresses that they like? I did, wanted, and I forgot them. Like One of but, them was uh, Cindy Lauper. <laughs> no. Uh, one no. of them had, that they had bandied about was Barbara Streisand. For fuck's yeah, sake. I did, yeah, what the hell? <laughs> I think Frank Oz in an interview later is like, yeah, I don't know about that one, but whoa. <laughs> I think Cindy Lauper could have sung Suddenly Seymour. I mean, sure, yeah. she could have sung the songs. I just don't think I mean, she'd have been if, right. If it's a musical, get somebody who can sing. I'll give him that, at least. Yeah. Well, thanks, Eric. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> but yeah, that, that's the first time I'd ever seen Ellen Green uh, in anything, and... Oh, that was her big. Yeah. That was her big role, and she did turn that into some kind of television series. You know, yeah. she got cast in after that, but, but yeah, good for her for for making the transition. It's always fun when somebody originates a role and yeah. gets to do the film version. Well, I got to say that, uh, and you touched on it earlier. Rick Moranis as Seymour is the most pitch perfect casting for that character because that was the eighties. It was the height of Rick Moranis's nebbish. Uh, like <laughs> persona, and he just nails it, and he can sing. You always forget that Rick Moranis is a musician, you know. <laughs> so it's always interesting to watch him do that kind of thing. <laughs> so it's fun. Yeah. So this gets into you know that they're trying to do a remake. Yeah. Yeah. I'd heard about that. Now, why? This ah. is like the perfect version of this thing. It it's shot practically. It holds up. It's goofy. It's a period piece. The people who were involved in making Little Shop actually have some memories, at least of the of the culture from that period yeah. in their life. And, and I believe, like the original, the 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 impetus behind the story was uh, communism. That you know the 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 Audrey plant is like communists taking over you know free capitalist. Western society. No, I think it's because it's based on tropes from like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which, which is, is about, about that, that too. I was so I think say, it borrows all of those were that. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it definitely but, borrows heavily from the the fifties B movie aesthetic. What What is the point of a remake of Little Shop? They've They've bandied about a cast that had Josh Gad <sighs> and Rebel Wilson. Barf, 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 barf. Yeah, and now now they're talking about um the guy who did Rocket Man. Um, Taryn Egerton and Taryn Egerton and Scarlett Johansson. No, no. Why? 
We do not need this. Well, here's the, the original okay. Little Shop is just the fine. One, yeah. The one the one thing I can think of that might make it worth it is if they did it just for Netflix. They shot both endings, <laughs> and they had that thing where you press the button in the middle to say which one you want to see. They bandersnatch it. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I could see them doing one of those, like, we're performing it live, you know, telecast things, maybe. Well, but yeah. another film of Little Shop well, just seemed un- completely unnecessary. Well, beyond the fact that it's just a, a useless retread of something that's already worked, uh, the other issue I would have with it is that they would do Audrey 2 totally CGI. Right. And that just yeah. to me would Don't ruin do that. it. Because if you look at Little Shop of Horrors, that to me is the biggest hook is that they did all of the Audrey puppets practically. So by the time yeah. you get the giant one at the end, it's taken like 60 people to maneuver. Yes. And it's just masterful. I mean, it's just holy shit. And then when you learn that they – basically figured out a way to sync the lips to the songs yes. by slowing the frame rate down when they filmed and then cranking it back up and then dubbing over that. I mean, that's just insane yes. that they figured that so shit out. Any shot that has a human and Audrey and Audrey is singing, especially if the human is singing with him or with Audrey, yeah. the human is lip syncing their part to a slowed down playback track to look natural when sped up. <laughs> yeah. It's, like Rick Moranis did that and no one noticed. Yeah. It's the opposite of like dance music videos where you notice that people are in slow motion, but they're limp syncing perfectly to the song. Yes. Right. Which is off putting, honestly. Whereas yeah. here it's not. I don't know why. Yeah. Well, there they're trying to make you think that, you know, you're on drugs. Uh, the, the performer is magical. Yeah. But yeah, when you watch the, the scenes between specifically between, uh, Seymour and Audrey too. They're they're very technically impressive. I mean, just astonishingly impressive. Uh, and then when you get to the end sequence where he's doing Mean Green Mother, which I guess was done solely for the movie, right? That's not in the yeah, stage that show. was a new one for the movie. Uh, uh, I think they've incorporated into the stage shows pretty much universally it's now. Fun. Yeah, because it's Levi Stubbs from the Four Tops as the voice of Audrey, so he's got that deep baritone. Uh, singing this really funky song i love that it got nominated for the best song oscar uh and they made Le- they made <laughs> levi right. subs go sing it but they had to clean it up because it has profanity in it so <laughs> he wasn't I mean, allowed to sing he the says profanity. tough titties and up yours but that yeah. that's it right uh, it's not like blame canada or something yeah but i'm pretty sure it's yeah. it's why uh mean green mother lost to uh take my breath away by berlin <laughs> fuck uh but yeah, it's technically impressive. But uh, after all said and done, I don't know if it's Frank Oz's best movie, but it's definitely entertaining. Mm, what would you say is a better Frank Oz movie? Uh, Death at a Funeral, man, makes me laugh every goddamn time. I'd, I'd say Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is in the running. That's a, that's a strong second. Uh, but, you know, it's it was his earliest like solo directorial effort. And I think he, he I mean, pulled it he off. got that gig because he's a puppet guy and they had an enormous... Yeah, well, it's it's just funny well, because he, he got, also got that gig because uh, Ellen Green's boyfriend plays Mister Snuffleupagus on Sesame Street, yeah. and they knew each other. So when the uh, movie was coming along, that was also how how I think ultimately he got her cast was he's like, no wait, I know the the woman here. Yeah, but yeah, it's all nepotism. Well, uh, <laughs> I just think it's I I just think it's funny that he was coming off finishing the Muppets take Manhattan and this was his follow-up 
that just makes me laugh when I think of it. I'm I'm gonna I'm I but I got to put in as my favorite Frank Oz film Bowfinger. That's everyone a, forgets Bowfinger. That's a strong one, man. Yeah, uh, it definitely of its time, but holy shit, and fucking hilarious. Yeah, just, just yeah, Eddie Murphy as as a as a dweeby guy is. Well, not only that, Eddie Murphy playing a dual role. He's playing the dweeby guy, but yeah. he's also playing like the biggest star on the planet who's slowly losing his mind because Steve Martin's film crew is <laughs> making it happen. <laughs> yeah. But 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 him running across the freeway. I don't want to die. I don't want to yeah. die. <laughs> uh, well, it's also weird. I didn't know this that the the movie adaptation had been in development for a while, like a couple of years, obviously, because uh, Broadway show opens in 82 and then becomes the most successful off-Broadway show ever. Uh, and then the movie itself doesn't come out until late 86. So it's like a four-year gap. But I did not know this, but at one point Martin Scorsese was attached to direct and he wanted to do oh, it. Yeah. He wanted to do it in 3D. It's like, what in the hell is going on? What am I reading? Uh, is that the height of Martin Scorsese on Blow? Probably. That was, yeah, that was around the time of uh, After Hours and all that stuff. So, yeah. Uh, and I think John Landis at one point was attached. Uh, of course, John Landis was, I mean, yeah. it was the early eighties. Yeah. John Landis, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which makes sense. Cause, um, cause Frank Oz is in every John Landis movie just about. So that's, that's yeah. a weird connection to me as well. So funny. I think, I think we owe Frank Oz a bigger debt of gratitude for our general childhood nostalgia than we maybe acknowledge. Well, yeah, apparently he just didn't even register it for years and years. Uh, and, and then, I guess his wife a couple years ago basically told him, this is how many people you've affected with your characters. And he's like, oh, shit. Well, dude was Yoda <laughs> yeah. and Bert. Yeah. Right. Well, also, and Fozzie Bear. Fozzie Bear you know? and, and Grover and Miss Piggy. And Piggy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he co-directed The Dark Crystal for fuck's sake. So He was in Blues Brothers. Yeah. I mean, I know you said that about the... <laughs> one, but I don't care. Blues Brothers, one of yeah. the greatest films ever made. One prophylactic... Use. <laughs> soil yeah <laughs> that was his character in every john landis movie too that's what's funny he was always the guy reading a list of other stuff like trading places blues brothers he was the proctor in spies like us i mean it's like in a, a distinctly burt voice yeah yeah <laughs> uh, so yeah i didn't have a whole lot else to say about it i just i wanted to make you guys watch a little shop that was pretty yeah. much my whole agenda we could have had a Frank Oz show. We could have. And we still <laughs> we could. Did. We still could. Well, yeah, we uh, could. I'm just, uh, thank you for sharing that you actually tried out for Seymour. I, yeah. I either had, did not know that or had forgotten that somehow. Uh, so, bravo. I, I, I enjoy those songs. They're fun to sing. What's your favorite song in the whole show? Uh, probably get it there at the end. Um the Feed Me Seymour song. Okay. Um, I just think that's... <laughs> some, I mean, from a, from my a pure... Go ahead. My, my favorite was the end as well. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, mean, I just... It's so saccharine and it's so, like, like I don't know. There's something about the, the sweet campiness of it that just drives me up the goddamn wall. <laughs> I want a movie about a, a, a plant that kills people. Yeah. That, that I can get into. But then it's just, it's, it's saccharine and, uh, well, I know you, you hey, also, that's, I'm done. I also know you, you <laughs> don't like the Rocky Horror Picture Show, correct? No, I love Rocky okay. Horror, but I, 
I think that redo of it was better. The mm. the live one they did. It was it it wasn't actually live, but it was on ABC, and it's better than the original okay. because the original was just poorly made. Well, I like the floor show of the original. Okay, because uh, in looking at all of the stuff, little shop this week, that was the closest corollary I could come to. Was uh sure was Rocky a Horror. musically similar yeah. campy yeah based uh, on the same got a little bit of darkness to yeah. it but, but also not a lot of darkness but pulling from the same sort of basic themes and tropes because that one's all about you know fifties B movies as well uh, yeah it's just got a lot more <laughs> like uh sex and stuff in it so uh, imagine if they sexed up Little Shop of Horrors what would that be like. Oh my God, Tim Curry. Tim Curry is the dentist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally see that. I could totally see that. Uh, <laughs> all right. So yeah, I guess that's the show this week. If you like it, uh, check out our other shows. Yeah, uh, well, first it. of all, share it. Share the show on your social feeds and like rate us on your podcast app, subscribe to the podcast, and then and then check out more shows We're on, on our website, uh, which is maghuge.com, M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com. And... Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter. We are at MacHuge. Hit us up on Facebook for the Magnificently Huge podcast. Find us on Instagram. Or email us. Uh, we are MagnificentlyHuge at gmail.com. Uh, join us again next week because we got one more show before Eric and I go drink for a week and listen to old 80s bands. Woo! On yes. a boat, yo. On a boat. On a boat. <laughs> <laughs>